CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Right now on Options Action, look closely. Does this chart show a market that's standing firm in the face of adversity? Or does it look more like a heartbeat heading towards a flat line on a day when more weak consumer data dragged down the major indices? We assess. Then more of retail's quarterly results also on deck next week. We focus in on one that's at a crossroads of conflicting indicators. We're going to hedge Home Depot. Finally, soft commodities have been swinging around lately, so we're taking a swing at Deer, which is also slated to report next week. I'm Courtney Reagan in this evening for Melissa Lee. This is Options Action live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, Mike Coe, Carterworth, and Brian Stutland. So from one perspective, the market looks resilient, enduring hit after hit. But from a different perspective, it could also be on life support, simply holding on rather than holding firm. There's a bifurcation within the market, and both sides are telling very different stories about the economy. So which is more likely correct? What does similar history support? Carterworth lays it out for us. What are you seeing, Carter? Right. So bifurcation is a circumstance, not about the concentration of market cap in big names. It's just simply about stocks in steep uptrends and then equal and opposite stocks in steep downtrends. So independent of tech, think about a McDonald's or a Lilly or a Hershey. On a six-month basis, they're making new six-month highs up 15 and 20 percent. And then at the exact opposite, you have something like Alcoa, U.S. Steel, Citibank, 3M, at six-month lows, all down 15 and 20 percent. You're talking about 3,000 base points of spread. Independent of tech, what it, what it represents is people clustering into fewer and fewer names as others continue to get worse. And one could say, so what? That's why the market's unchanged. Some are winning, some are losing. But at some point, the steep and uncorrected stocks are full, rich, expensive, while the weak stocks are telling a message about the economy. Again, we're sitting here right now, international paper, 52-week low, Ford Motor, 52-week low, U.S. Steel, it goes on and on. That's a very different picture than the picture of the market. The market looks like it's quiet. It's in a range, but it's not. We have a few S&P charts, and we can look at them just quickly. The sequencing since the high, there's a chart with no annotations. The next iteration will show um, we've had these very distinct um, rallies, and each rally has faltered at some point. And ultimately, this one is starting to falter, too, the rally off of the lows, both from October, but from more recently, just March. Hmm, Very interesting stuff. Mike, what do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things I would say, of course, is that at any moment in time, uh, you know, we can always look around and and find some things that are likely to make investors uh, skittish. If you peruse the Internet at all, I'm sure you've seen pop up ads from doomsayers all over the place saying that the end is nigh. Uh, I will say, you know, what's what's kind of interesting for me personally as an investor is that, you know, I have actually gone out and tried to pick up some of these pieces of trash along the way and actually ended up reducing a lot of those positions when I thought it was premature to do so. I I got into names like Disney, I got into Paramount, I got into AT&T, I got into Ford. All of these uh, only proceeded to trade lower in my face in relatively short order. I actually took a lot of those positions off. And the principal reason for that is we do see consumer sentiment is, is quite poor. 
we are dealing with the reality of very steep uh, rate hikes. And I don't think we've completely seen all of the implications of that yet. Uh, and we do see that a lot of the winning stocks, and Carter just mentioned one of them, McDonald's, it's really tough to see how a name like that can extend a whole lot further from where it is right now, trading at a well over average market multiple. The market itself, if we are going into a recession, probably shouldn't be trading at its average uh, market multiple either, and it is. So when you put all of those things together, it is pretty easy to understand why you might have some concern that uh, we could falter here. Hmm. Brian, do you see the same concern as you look at the bifurcation trend? I, I do to some degree because uh, Carter's probably mentioned this term, you know, as there's a flood, you find all names fewer and fewer heading to the high grounds and investors heading in that direction. Eventually, the flood just overwhelms everybody. And this can be a lot indicated based on volatility trends. I don't think we could, you know, not talk about this on an option trading show and not mention the VIX and volatility relative to the S&P 500 or spikes and volatility relative to SPY. And when we look at those indexes and how that has trended down over a year ago, remember, the VIX was above 30. The market is basically kind of unchanged over the last year and the VIX has gone all the way down below 20. And the reason being is when you have these stocks that tend to just concentrate in a few, I think I read a piece on stock, from SockGen, 70% of the volatility is being led or 70% of the S&P is being led by the volatility of these few names moving higher. So what's going on? The other stocks are moving lower. We sort of get this trend where we're stuck. We can't get through that 4,200 mark on the S&P, and the VIX starts coiling and compressing lower and lower. Now, this rubber band is getting stretched, and the further that volatility band gets stretched to where we're just kind of trending along in this sort of can't break out kind of thing, that rubber band's going to snap. It's going to snap hard, typically and we may get a pop in the VIX, I'd be looking to hedge positions right here because I don't know how much further we can last in this type of market environment that Carter laid out earlier, that, that we have this bifurcation in the market and we don't get this volatility snapback that occurs. It makes sense to, to go there. So let's dig a little deeper on the VIX. Mike, what's your take here? Yeah, I, I think I've been hearing a lot of these comments. You know, why is the VIX so low or how come it hasn't gone higher? Even as things like the debt ceiling crisis, as that comes closer and closer, people are expecting to see uh, the VIX sharply higher than its current level of about 17, which is actually below the long-term historical average, which is closer to 20. And with all of these, how come uh, it has actually been going sideways or even lower? There's a couple of reasons I think we should talk about. One of them is what Carter has just been talking about. When the market bifurcates, some stocks are rising and others are falling. What that means is that the index itself actually isn't really going anywhere. And so you can have a lot of volatility in the, in the individual constituent stocks of an index, but the index itself might be relatively quiet. What requires uh, uh, basically to happen for an increase in that volatility is for the correlation of those stocks to also increase. Really, when you think about volatility of an index, it's a function of those two things. How much are stocks moving around? And how much do they move around together? And that's exactly what happens when some form of pan panic sets in. You will see that correlation rise. We certainly saw it during the credit crisis. We certainly saw it in the uh, early stages of the, of the pandemic. And in the meantime, we're coming on to the back end of earnings season. And so the individual options premiums associated with a lot of stocks has declined as earnings has come and gone. As we all know, options premiums will tend to be elevated going into an event like earnings, and it tends to decline coming back out of it. So really what we're dealing with right now, when you see that sideways action, if the individual volatility of stocks has been coming in, but the index itself is sort of leveling off, 
really what you're seeing is the market's expectation that the next thing that's going to happen is probably an increase in that correlation. And I, and I think that's exactly uh, what Brian is talking about, because when you get that increase in correlation and an increase in volatility, that's when really sharp moves can start to happen. And I think you can actually take advantage of the fact that options premiums are not that high right now by just looking at, at buying a put spread. I was looking out to June and SPY, the, the uh, 405-385 put spread was the one I was looking at. That would cost about three and a half bucks. So you have a very nice payoff if it gets down to that lower strike. Now, a couple of things I just want people to think about when you hedge. First of all, hedging is really a tactical activity. It's not something that you can do on your portfolio all the time. It would just be too expensive to do that. So uh, you really want to try to basically look for setups where the hedging is less expensive. I think that's true right here. Uh, and where you do think that there is a chance that something is brewing in the market that could cause some kind of a move. And the other thing is that when you do imagine some sort of a pullback, don't get all chicken little about it and imagine that the market is just going to crash. It's very easy when you have all of the doomsayers telling you that the end is nigh, as I was saying earlier, that it's really going to be a sharp pullback. It's, it's probably smarter uh, to tactically look for hedges that are more likely to be successful. So in this particular case, we're looking at a move of somewhere between 2 and 7% to the downside in uh, 30 to 40 days or so. And you know, a move of 2% to the downside, you know, that happens probably on average over a similar period of time, about 47% of the time you could get a move of that magnitude. A move of more than 6 or 7% to the downside, on the other hand, is actually quite uncommon. You're looking at a probability of 15% or less over a 35-day window that something like that happens. Brian, what do you make of this trade that Mike's laying out for us? Yeah, I actually have a very similar trade on right now for clients mm -hmm. using e-mini future options. and protecting to the downside in that fashion. I'm also using spikes futures and VIX futures to sort of play a volatility pop. And to Mike's point, you want to look at opportunistic times to put this on. I think that's one of them. You get this bifurcation, option prices get cheaper. Even today, we saw the VIX down very sharply to start the day, and it sort of propped back up, even heading into a weekend, and basically kind of closed unchanged. So I think somewhere people are scooping these options up. Buying a put spread makes a lot of sense here. It's relatively cheap. You have enough time for this to pay off. And if we get a sell in May, go away, sort of, you know, blip in the market, this put spread should pay off. And you can then go ahead and take it off after that. Carter, what does the charting tell you when you're looking at the VIX charts? Sure. So uh, what we have is, a, is, again, a complacent market that's not really being depicted by the VIX. Because at the end of Q1, right, almost eight weeks ago, we are exactly the same level in the S&P. But what we know has happened in between is that you've got these huge moves up and down, all being massed at the index level. And the VIX is also very quiet. We've got uh, two charts. One's an all-data chart of, of VIX. And you'll see here that it's uh, generally in the range, uh, in the lower uh, sort of quadrant, if you will. But the day-to-day -day VIX chart, I think, is more interesting. The, the final chart, uh, it has all the makings of a minor bottom, at least as annotated by me. Mike, I'm going to give you the last word here. Yeah, I mean, an interesting thing that people should know about the VIX, of course, is that it is very closely related to the behavior of the S&P itself. And there's really two reasons for this. Volatility will tend to rise on declines in general, that we expect. But it also has to do with the shape of options prices, the skew that we see in the market. As the S&P declines, you're basically shifting towards a strip of options premiums that are generally higher. And so that is why the two are, are pretty directly anti-correlated. And uh, so you know, when you see the kind of thing that Carter is talking about, it's really just another way to look at a similar chart in the S&P. 
Well, for everything options action, check out our website and our newsletter. There's more options action coming up after this. Calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Welcome back to Options Action. Another huge week of earnings on deck, and we're honing in on retail ahead of some key reports. Target, TJX, Walmart, Foot Locker, and more all gearing up to deliver results. It's been a rough year so far for retail. The XRT virtually flat and very much on the weakness side of our bifurcation discussion from last block. So, Brian, you've got a trade in this group. What do you got here? Yeah, the retailers, you know, consumer discretionary for that matter, not so great this year versus everything else in the market. Uh, XRT basically unchanged on the year after today. And so I think I've got to be a little careful at looking at some of these names here to the point of, you know, does the market start to roll over and head lower? I think retailers are susceptible, especially this week with all the earnings, you know, Home Depot, Walmart's kind of hung in there. Maybe that, you know, helps XRT in terms of a, you know, ETF uh, moving higher. But some of those other names at Home Depot look susceptible to the downside. And when you look at consumer discretionary, they're having a tough time passing on their margin and their profit margin on to the end user in this inflationary environment that we've had. Consumer staples, on the other hand, have hung in there okay, but consumer discretionary, not so much. And they don't have the kind of balance sheet that a lot of these stocks that have moved higher have been able to participate in the upside. That hasn't really occurred or, or doesn't have the, the flexibility for some of these names. So I'm looking to buy a put spread. I want to put some sort of short position in on my portfolio. I think the XRT has that potential for the downside. I look at this June put spread. It's very similar to Mike, but I'm going a little bit more in the money. I want to own options. I'd buy the June 61 put for a little over two bucks while selling the $55 put for about 50 cents. That's a cost of $1.65, but look at the, the profit here, 435. That's almost a two to three to one payout, so I should say, to the downside. That's why my put spread's a little bit more in the money because I want a more of a short delta, short position in the marketplace. And if I'm constructing a portfolio where there's a hedge in place, I think XRT is susceptible to the downside. I want to own a put spread to play that should the market roll over. Mike, what do you make of Brian's trade here? Yeah, so uh, in some ways, I'm hoping that the trade itself doesn't work out, but it makes good sense. So why am I hoping it doesn't work out? Well, we own Home Depot, we own Walmart, we own Ross stores, we own TJX. Uh, and so with all of that, obviously, we have significant exposure uh, going into into earnings. And uh, I'm hoping it comes out all right. Home Depot as well, if I didn't mention it. Um, but, you know, it does make a lot of sense because when we have this situation and, and how he's playing, it also makes sense. You know, he's not really trying to, you know, take this really out of the money approach. We have upcoming catalysts. We know what they are. We know when they are. It's all coming up next week. That short delta strategy basically helps you put the pause button on if you have any or many 
of the stocks that are reporting. And so this is you know, an inexpensive way. You can see what he's laying out, exposure out to June. If the market broadly softens, this gives you basically insurance against that. And of course, if earnings turn out badly, it gives you insurance against that as well. Carter, what do you make on the retail space right now? Right, so we know that if you look at the consumer discretionary sector, 70, 80 stocks, top three, Amazon, Tesla, Home Depot, McDonald's, are 50% weight. So the XRT is the better way to capture the theme of retail. That's, of course, an equal weight ETF. It's got almost 90 names, uh, 2.4 trillion. And it's basically sitting at 52-week lows, not confirming, quote, the so-called strength in the market since the October low. But let's uh, look at a chart or two. I think maybe it's just one we have. And so what you have is we're starting to break down. Um, that uh, uptrend line is in effect since the COVID low. And we are basically breaching that uptrend. It's, it's not good action, both absolute, of course, but on a relative basis, it's below its COVID low to the S&P. Hmm. Well, with the agricultural and commodity sectors experiencing some wild swings this year, let's switch gears a little bit to deer. That stock is down more than 13% this year. Mike's laying out a trade ahead of those results, which are on Friday of next week. Mike, how are you playing this one? Yeah, so dear, this is actually another stock uh, that we own. I mean, like most investors, we are long stocks on balance, and we are in the case of Deer. And people who have watched the network have seen me talk about this company in the past know that I think uh, at, there have been times in, in past years where I've described this as a buy and hold forever kind of a stock. Uh, what's interesting here, though, is just what the price action has been in this company over the recent couple of years. Uh, it's hard to believe, but this company, which was founded in the early 1800s, uh, and so it's one of the oldest companies that you can actually buy stock in, has actually outperformed since the COVID low most of the big tech names that we can think of. It has significantly outperformed Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Amazon during that time frame. And since year-end 2019, uh, it has seen significant revenue growth, revenue growth of about 40%. EPS has basically tripled. But what I would like people to think about as we go into earnings is that there's been a pretty unique dynamic that has existed for the co company, basically a perfect setup, if you will. We've had 0% interest rates, and we've had sharply rising commodity prices, soft commodity prices in particular, after a long secular bear market for softs. And why is that important? Because, of course, as soft commodity prices increase and as interest rates decrease, this is a good setup for farmers who might be looking to invest in new equipment. And that has set up very, very well for them. The thing is, I suspect that that dynamic is coming a bit to an end. We obviously have the higher interest rates. So I think a way that you can hedge this and try to mute the cost of doing it if you happen to hold it or if you're inclined to just put on a bearish bet going into earnings. I was looking at a diagonal put spread. I was looking at purchasing the June 355 puts for about $9.80 and then selling the 345s against it. Net-net uh, spending about seven and a half bucks to put that trade on. Now, an important point, when you put on calendar spreads, what you're really looking for is a modest decline, not a sharp decline. But when you use a diagonal spread like this, it's one of those situations where if the decline is modest, uh, you will probably see profits. If it trades sideways, you're probably not going to lose anything. And you aren't going to see losses if it really bottoms out. I'm hoping that doesn't happen because, as I mentioned, we own the stock. Wow, fascinating. Interesting points there about Deer versus some of those big tech names. Well, coming up next, uh, metal makeover, how to handle last week's silver trade as the SLV heads south. More options action after this.
Welcome back to Options Action. Last week, Mike laid out a silver trade after a pretty impressive run for the metal over the last few months, but it's reverse course here. So, Mike, how are you handling that move? If you follow me on Twitter, then you'll know we already took this trade off. And the reason was we got soft economic data coming out of China. That hit copper and that hit silver. First loss, best loss. I took it off straight away. All right. We do have some breaking news on a major airbag recall. We've got Phil LeBeau joining us now with a little bit more. Phil, what's going on here? Courtney, this is uh, breaking news coming in from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. It is urging the recall of 67 million airbag inflators. Not to get too wonky on this, but this is the inflator is small cartridge, almost looks like uh, what you would see for an asthma inhaler. That is the cartridge that triggers the airbag during a collision. There has been some discussion for a number of years about whether or not, as these airbag inflators, uh, the older models, whether or not there uh, is a safety concern. Well, now uh, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is urging the recall of 67 million of these, uh, the automakers that are impacted by this, and a number of them have already initiated their own recalls, are BMW, Ford, General Motors, and Volkswagen. What they will do now, if, if this recall goes through, which most likely it will, is that they will then work with the airbag inflator manufacturer in order to develop a replacement for the defective ones or what NHTSA is calling defective airbag inflator. So it's a massive recall, um, and at this point, we do know, according to the uh, filing from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, there is one fatality linked with these airbag inflators rupturing early. But that's enough, along with their investigation, for them to say, look, we think all 67 million of these, and we're talking about 2016, 2015 models, should be recalled. Wow, 67 million. That's an awful lot. Thank you for bringing that to us, Phil. We will continue to follow that along as it develops. Coming up next, final call. Calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. Time now for the final call, Carter. XRT, sell. Brian. Yeah, retailers, yeah, buy a put spread. Mike. Hedge. That does it for Options Action. We're back next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts now. CNBC, live ambitiously. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. And may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Options Action participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Options Action Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Options Action Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.